Welcome, welcome, welcome back into Crossing State Lines, episode 135. I am Jake, joined as always by my dear Stoneham leading co-host, Dave Albiani. Dave, I see there was a birthday in the family. Yeah, this is this is actually pretty old. Um, I can see I, I can I, see I, the balloons are starting to deflate back there. You what? I can see the def- the balloons are starting to deflate back there. <laughs> yeah, they're a little uh, they're a little sad right now. But better yeah. get, you better get Ted Wells on the case. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually thought about just releasing them outside, but I didn't think they'd actually float. I think they would just sink. <laughs> well, uh, well, Dave, we are uh, we have, we have no time to waste here. We have we have another edition of our of our lifetime series, and we have a very special guest joining us for our countdown today of NBC10 Boston and the Boston Globe. It is our former WRIU boss, Dave, as, as you were on the show with us. He was our, uh, he was our boss, and uh, it's, it's Jake Levin. Jake, how you doing? It's just scary. I used to be in charge of people at a point in my life when I was in no position to be calling shots or barking orders, but uh, yeah, you guys are doing pretty well for yourself, so I guess I didn't scar anybody uh, too, too badly. No, no, Dave is... Uh, Dave, former ESPN employee, if you've ever heard of it. Yeah, that four-letter network, of course. <laughs> Indeed. Dave, uh, Dave, was, Dave was working his way up to head anchor. He was. He was going to get us that, that 3 p.m. radio slot at some point. But it was, uh, he, just, he couldn't handle the, the hustle. You know? it was, uh, he, didn't, he didn't like the, the hustle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I said, uh, can I get paid to not do anything? Or does that actually, is that okay? Yeah. They didn't like that, I guess. You wanted to pull the uh, Cosmo Kramer and just come to work with your briefcase full of Ritz and just sit there? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's the same thing. We're we're the same people, honestly. (laughs) Oh, boy. Well, that's uh, a quick note before we move on to our main topic. Uh, Jerry Stiller, uh, Frank Costanza fame, he passed away this week. Uh, I believe it was the age of 92. That sounds right, yep. Really, I couldn't believe he was yeah. that old. He looked, it looked great for his age. He did. You know, the, uh, right up until the end. He did. And he's you know, obviously Frank Costanza is what he's best known for. He was also great as Arthur Spooner in uh, yeah. King, King, of Queen, King of Queens. And he was also very good in Zoolander. So I mean, really everything Frank – that Frank I almost said Frank Costanza there. Everything that, that Jerry Stiller was in, he was fantastic. And, I mean, he has some of the most memorable scenes from Seinfeld and probably one of the best TV blooper reels of all time is the him – him making Julia Louis-Dreyfus crack every single time in that police station. And yeah, I'm not a big bloopers guy, but that yeah. blooper in particular is definitely – that, that, that sets the line, I think, for what constitutes a good blooper. Just because you know how professional they are, how you know good they are at what they do. And the fact that Julia Louis-Dreyfus can't keep it together, it's a testament to Jerry Stiller, just how good he is too. I think what was especially great was that every time you see them break, he doesn't. Like Jerry Stiller is like, well, what's yep. going on? Like, and you yep. know, JLD and George and uh, George's girlfriend there. Like everybody breaks, but Frank, you know, he's keeping it together the whole time. And he was just, you know, like you said off air, Jay. He wasn't even brought on until almost halfway through the show's run. Right. And every time he's on screen, he's electric. Every single time. It's must see TV. He steals scenes. I mean, what the hell did you trade Jay Buna for? That that's that's uh. <laughs> If I were a Mariners fan, well, rather, if I were a Yankees sure. fan, and, and, you know, granted, I think the Yankees overcame losing Jay Buhner, but I that, uh, so. a lesser franchise, that, that might sting a little bit, and that might be of even greater notoriety. Dave, what's your favorite Frank Costanza moment? Oh, man, that's that's tough. I mean, I like just the rivalry he had with the Seinfelds. Mm. 
Uh, and I also liked uh, the caped lawyer. He's like, oh, yeah, that guy's my lawyer. And he's yeah. like wearing a cape in the streets, which obviously was Larry David. I still think, uh, not not to steal Jake's thunder, but I mean, I still think the Jay Buhner scene is, is one of the most rewatchable clips of the entire show, let alone just Frank Costanza. But like I said on Twitter, Tom Porter and I used to like, every time I, like, every time I walk into the office, either he'd say it or I would say it. And we would just go back and forth with that whole, that whole spiel. He had a rocket for an arm, 30 home runs, 100 RBIs. You know what the hell you're doing? <laughs> there, was, there was also the, uh, the blooper of him and Jason Alexander, like when they were sharing the bed. He yes. was offering, like the bowl of uh, soup or something, and he's and he, Jason Alexander just couldn't yeah. keep it together. Yeah. What about you, Jake? What's your if you had to pick uh, one or two of your favorite Frank Costanza moments? What would you uh, What would you pick out? Well, certainly Jay Buhner. Um but also you know this is Frank Costanza. All time great moment. Del Boca Vista. We're gonna be sliding all over the shuffleboard courts. Some kind, yeah. I'd say that's certainly another one. Uh, sort of put it all together. I mean, the Fusili Jerry, one in a million shot doc. Right. He is the he is the ass man. That's right. Uh, yeah, but yeah, Jay Buner. That, that's my. I think that's his crowning moment. Mm, I agree. I also do like the uh, somebody shared the line I saw when I was rewatching some episodes the other day, guys. It was the um, the when I forget the context, but he was like, uh, he's like, yeah, I wasn't. It was about him coming from Italy, and he's like, I wasn't born here. It's why I don't vote. They don't want me. I don't want them. Yep. <laughs> like also, also gold. It's a great. His delivery is always perfect. But uh, rest in peace, Jerry Stiller. A uh, fantastic comedic actor for many, many generations. So uh, that's that's uh, a, 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 he's you know one of the best, one of the best side characters on uh, maybe of, of all time. Not well, secondary characters of all time for sure. Uh, so today we have a countdown. We're doing another of our lifetime, uh, and how that works is Dave and I were born in the early '90s. Jake wasn't too far off, so this is pretty much in the same you know same realm. I was born in the early nineties, nineteen ninety. Exactly. Just made the cut. That's the nineties. We're all born in it. We're all from the. We're all nineties kids. That's all what we are. Exactly. Uh, so what we do with of our lifetime is we put together a list of whatever happens to be the topic that day. This is the worst NFL head coaching hires since that year, and it was right around the early nineties. So we, I think we stuck with ninety two. As they were, what was the cutoff there? Even though Dave was a ninety three kid, so we we stuck in the middle for for Jake's uh, sake. So we really didn't go that far back anyway. So don't worry about it. I think all these guys yeah. we came up with have coached not only in the 21st century, but in the 2010s. Oh, and uh, it's for, for the most part, uh, looking at our list. Actually, you know what? The number one guy, not to spoil, is uh, I guess he's from the aughts. But yeah, it's certainly right. later on. Exactly. Exactly. So it's uh, not, not, a, not a shred of time to waste. And we can just dive right into the top 10. How it worked was we put together a master list. Jake, Dave, and I all ranked our top 15. Jake and Dave sent theirs to me. I put together all the math, put together the top 10. There are quite a few honorable mentions that we will get to once we get to our uh, number two. But it's a pretty concrete number one. He, he was pretty far off from the other guys. So it's, uh, it was not much of a race for number one. Uh, we were all not in a lockstep, but we all had the guy in our top five. So that it's was pretty incredible because yeah. a lot of us, I shouldn't say, for a lot of the coaches, two of us, were had very similar rankings, but for this guy, this clown, we were all pretty much in agreement. Uh, he was about as bad as it gets. And I don't think you will find much uh, much protest from from uh, football fans in terms of this guy either. So, 
But without further ado, we can dive right on in once I fix the math that I uh, that I didn't account for one of the tiebreakers here, so I had to flip uh, three and four. But anyway, uh, let's start off at the bottom at number ten. Uh, this guy, I know Emily will not be pleased to hear me say his name, but he uh, comes in tenth. He has fourteen points. He was seventh for eleven, eleventh for me, and did not make Dave's list. But I don't think Dave's going to be singing his praises. That is Matt Patricia of the Detroit Lions. <laughs> Sorry, Emily. Um, Emily's a big Matt Patricia fan, especially mostly when he was with the Patriots. But Matt Patricia was one of those hires where it happened, and it was a clear case of, well, they just kind of went with the Patriots coordinator they thought was really the engine behind a great defense, and he he wasn't, and it, it became clear right from the start. A lo- part of the problem with the Patricia hire by the Lions is that any coach walking into that situation I don't think was going to succeed because, frankly, they're the Detroit Lions. But when you bring in a defensive guy, when you still have a franchise quarterback, say what you want about Matthew Stafford, but I think it, maybe there is still some untapped potential there. He's put up numbers, you know, empty numbers, but numbers all the same. And then you bring in a guy who's going to focus on the defensive side of the ball. And at that, they hire him at a time right off this vaunted defense, giving up 41 points to a backup quarterback. And I, I do love Nick Foles, but it's 41 points to a backup quarterback. Really not a great, uh, you know, last taste, I guess, as defensive coordinator for the Patriots. And there's a reason we heard behind the scenes all these years that Patricia was a little abrasive, rough around the edges. And that's why it was taking him so long to become a coach, a head coach. And he's done nothing through two years to dispel that. The fact that he's actually gone backwards from year one to year two, I think is a big red flag. And now it's win or else in Detroit this year. Yeah. And it's, I I think maybe the peak of people liking Matt Patricia in general was when he got, when he wore that Goodell clown nose shirt. And everybody's like, oh, oh, we love Matt Patricia. He's the man. He's on our side. And then I guess that really did sour a lot of people on him. <laughs> Maybe at the uh, I, lo- I loved it as a Patriots fan. Yeah, yeah. But if I'm an owner <laughs> looking around and, you know, all things are equal, do I think that means he should never be allowed to be a head coach? No, of course not. Right, right. I think it just proved that it was among the other factors of why he might not be cut out to lead a team. Still think he could be a great coordinator, but. Dave, I know you love Matt Patricia, right? You love him. You think he's a great coach? Uh, I mean, when he was coordinator, the players really kind of took to him really well. I mean, you'd hear hear all the players talk about, I love Matty P. I love him. He's a great guy. But I think this is another case of a coordinator going places, and he's kind of stepping outside his comfort zone. He's not a guy that likes to talk to the media. He's not a guy that likes to answer a lot of questions. He likes to just do things the way he wants to do them, and everyone else should fall in line and just respect that. Because that's what the Patriots did. And uh, I think when you look at Detroit, he's really caused more problems than he's fixed here. Like, they, they got rid of Darius Slay, who's one of the top corners in the league, because Matt Patricia didn't like him. And, uh, you know, the defense has kind of been torn apart ever since they got there. They spent a lot of money on it, and it hasn't gone any better. Uh, and, you know, it started off this year. They lost a, they tied with Cliff Kingsbury in the first game when the, the Cardinals didn't lose the ball in the first half. I mean... It's just, uh, it's another case where I think Jake, uh, you said it best, but you know, he's, he's a good coordinator. I just don't think he is the the personality or the ability to lead that he can be a a successful head coach. 
Yeah, and uh, I guess that leads me to my next question because he's one of two guys on this list still currently coaching, uh, still currently as a head coach, not to spoil another one on the list, but uh, how much longer, uh, how many games of a leash does he have this year? This year is going to be so weird for so many reasons. That's true. That even if the Lions get off to a slow start, I think he should get to finish the season just because as it looks now, you don't know what training camps are going to look like for certain teams. You don't know if certain teams are even going to be able to play in their home stadiums. You're already hearing the California teams are going to have to go find a temporary home. If, if only the Rams used to play in St. Louis, you know, something like that. But right. anyways, it's going to be unfair to an extent if the Lions pull the plug on Patricia early. He did himself no favors. He dug himself this hole. But I think everybody, to an extent, is going to get a mulligan or deserves a mulligan for uh, what's going to transpire this season. As things look now, you know, if there's a cure for coronavirus, that'd be outstanding. And everything's all great in September and the Lions are, you know, one and six. Then see you later, Matty P. No problem. But well, that's, that is, that's more leash than I might give him. <laughs> one and six, the way it looks right now, I, I'd still let him finish out the season just because this feels like it's going to be a season unlike any other. Yeah, if there's a full season, you start out one and six. You might as well slid and finish and tank the year, and then get a high draft pick, and then let right, him go. That too. But yeah, I don't know how much more leash he could. It, Dave, if you were the GM of the Lions, uh, well, how many games in is, does it take you to fire Matt Patricia? If well, it's this a full is an season, interesting situation season. because Bob Quinn is from New England and they're friends, right. and I think Bob Quinn is on the outs too. So I think Absolutely. this is the president it's steps in and fires both of them at the same true. time. That's true. And I, I'm with, I'm kind of with Jake here. I think it's an, a season you don't really know what's going on, uh, and I think they're likely to keep them through the season. But if if we do have a full season, and uh, I think the first sign of of trouble and where they're kind of falling out of the playoff race, whether it's one and five or you know, three and seven or whatever it is, when they see that, that light start to, you know, get a little bit darker. I think that's when they'll probably rip the cord and and try to start over. Uh, As, as uh, Dave knows, Lev, uh, one of the, one of the guys I irrationally, but rationally hate the most in this podcast is Steve Keim of the Arizona Cardinals. Oh, sure. Um, And he's another guy like uh, that should probably have gotten, I thought he was one tank job away from getting fired anyway, but then, he had Kyler Murray fall into his lap, and now he's right. got, his, got his job saved. But that's a similar situation to me where, yeah, I could see Bob Quinn getting fired, but maybe he's like, you know what, let's get rid of Patricia, and then maybe we'll see about my job next year. So who knows? But Matt Patricia uh, starts our list, and then following him is another Detroit Lions uh, coach. <laughs> Bit of an odd situation here. He did not make my or Jake Jake's uh, list, but he was first on Dave, so that gives him 15 points right off the bat. That is Rod Marinelli. And Dave, Rod Marinelli's claim to fame, as you said off air, he presided over the first ever 0-16 season in NFL history. So he's got that going for him, which is nice. Yeah, and, uh, you know, probably was a little bit high if if we're going based off of hiring them because he was obviously a qualified guy. He's a good defensive mind. He's proved that, proven that with the Cowboys where – He's just a better coordinator, positional coach than he is a head coach, which is nothing wrong with that. He's a, he's a successful guy. He knows more about football than we all do combined, so that's good. But, I mean, I think he gets extra points here and bumps up to the top of my list just because, you know, he presided over an 0-16 team. His first year, they were 3-13. and And then they get to 7-9 and the, sec- the second year, and you're like, all right, well, you know, 
we're going nowhere but up. And then the third year, you have people <laughs> with paper bags over their face watching the games. And I, I mean, I just think this is a case where you gotta you gotta honor the 0 and 16. You gotta bump him up to the to the top here. I get that. I mean, he was definitely a finalist. Maybe if we did like a top 25, he would have made the list. But um, I was trying to balance the higher versus their career because. Definitely, if we're looking at their career, he, like you said, 0-16, they were 3-13, and had a little bit of a bump, and then, yeah, after that, you know, nowhere to go but up, and they went crashing down. But uh, it definitely was not a, a good hire in the first place. So it, it, they definitely reaped what they sowed. Uh, Rob Marinelli, he will forever be known as the 0-16, first-ever 0-16 uh, head coach in NFL history. So, you know. He he does have the he has a legacy whether it's a good one or a bad one uh, that's for history to decide. Yeah, Marinelli, you know his resume was pretty good. He'd been the defensive line coach and the assistant head coach in Tampa Bay for ten years, and this assistant head coach for the last four under Gruden. And we know about that Tampa Bay defense back then: your Derek Brooks, your John Lynch, your uh, uh, Rondé Barber, Warren Sapp. I'm forgetting a few other big names. So he, he was certainly qualified, and then he steps into this situation in Detroit where they had moved on from Joey Harrington. They determined he was a bust, and <laughs> then they had they had three years where it was what John Kitna, um, and then by oh wait the own sixteen year what is that Culpepper Dan Orlovsky yep um, maybe Sean Hill was in there at some point. I, it, it was a bad bad situation, but also. Those were Matt Millen's drafts really coming home to roost. You know, they finally take Megatron in 07, but because they were left with nothing from the first, I guess, six Matt Millen drafts, I think he came on in 01, and, you know, they swing and miss every single season. Uh, Marinelli, in, in part of the circumstance here, too, he's 57 when he gets his first head coaching job. That's not really young enough to go out and redeem yourself get a second coaching chance, so he's one and done. And obviously at this point, he's 70 years old, just turned 70 last year. He'll never be a head coach again, but you know, there's worse gigs than being a good coordinator and a lifer in the NFL. Yeah, no, you're not wrong about that. There's definitely worse gigs to have. Um, but yeah, uh, Rob Marinelli. Like, <laughs> I, it's funny you bring up Matt Millen. Seventh, seventh time was the charm, I guess, for, uh, for his drafts. At Took least. him long enough. He only found a, uh, an ungodly wide receiver, and then that, that organization... You know, not like they have a history of letting all-time great players retire way too early because they just mismanage them. Uh, they've only un- only done that with Calvin Johnson. Nobody else. <sighs> Jesus. Yeah, that's the Lions for you. What can I tell you? Uh, speaking of organizational disasters of the last 20 years or so, uh, moving on to number eight with 19 points. This guy was unranked for Dave, but sixth for 11 and seventh for me. That is good old Tom Cable of the Oakland Raiders. Tom Cable, in his time with the Raiders, he went uh, 17 and 27 for a 386 winning percentage. He coached there. He was 08 was the interim <clears throat> head coach, and then 09 he was hired. Uh, what's puzzling about that is he finished the season. I believe he went three and eight that year, and that was apparently good enough to. Uh, or I'm sorry, four and eight, and that was apparently good enough for them to say, "Let's give him the head coaching gig." And then he went five and 11 and eight and eight, and then they fired him. So. Um, not not great, but then again, as you guys saw from the master list, the Raiders haven't had a great track record of the past 20 years hiring head coaches. It's just insane to me. He had never been a coordinator at the NFL level. 
in the highest level of head coach he had been in college was at Idaho, which at the time, I believe, was FCS or 1AA. It may have been known back then in the early 2000s. So he had no business being a head coach in the first place. And that's why I look at the the hire rather his uh, against his coaching skills, which obviously are lackluster. He was horrible with the Raiders. But, you know, Al Davis, you know, love the guy, meaning senile at this point in his life. Uh, 2008, I think he had three years left at that point. He just couldn't make sense of what he was doing. So he goes, and this is a guy I think we're going to touch on a little bit, uh, but he goes from finding a, a a young coach, a hot young coaching mind, if you will, to just a retread in Tom Cable. And there was no philosophy, no organization there. That's why the Raiders uh, are the Raiders and have been the Raiders for a very long time now. Tom Cable's done an okay job since then. He's an offensive line coordinator. Is he still in Seattle or is he elsewhere now? I believe he's in Seattle. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, uh, according to his football reference page, he's back in Oakland coaching the offensive line. Oh, my bad. Because Gruden, Gruden obviously is back. So, But, you know, he was never there with Gruden. That doesn't make a lot of sense. But, yeah, he was pretty good in Seattle. Assistant head coach, offensive line for a couple of years, you know. Yeah. The peak of the Legion of Boom, other side of the ball. He deserves no credit, but you know he was there. Yeah, exactly. But you know, it's you know he's he was able to kind of you know you know bring himself up from the ashes of a horrible, horrible head coaching tenure. So yeah, he's uh, only fi- he's only fifty five. I don't yeah. think he'll get another head coaching gig at this oh, point. I doubt but that. Never say never. That's true. You never know Hopefully. with an interim position or anything. You never know. Could happen. Exactly. All right, so the first guy on the list that has been on all three of our lists is up at number seven. He had 21 points. He was fourth for Dave, 10th for me, 13th for 11, and this one, the hiring part, really came into play for me. He is the other head coach on this list, currently still coaching his team. That is Adam Gase of the New York Jets. Adam Gase has, in recent history, has there ever been a guy whose stock was so high as a coordinator and it was like, all right, well, I mean, look at all these teams. They need to hire Adam Gase. They need to get if they get Adam Gase in there, this team's gonna go. They're gonna go places. And then, like two years after that, it was like, wow, they really need to get rid of this guy because he is a clown show. And Adam Gase has been an example of that. His stock was so high with Peyton Manning, and then shocker, he sucked. And then I guess it wasn't really Adam Gase that was the reason those offenses were you know chugging along so well. And then he got his job in Miami, and he was he got into the playoffs his first year. And then he was underwhelming, and underwhelming again, got fired. Probably shouldn't have gotten another head coaching job, at least in my opinion, and is now with the Jets ruining that organization. So I don't get it. To be totally fair to Gibbs, and again, I did put him on my list. I put him in the lower end. I think I had him 13th. That's correct. He did take Miami to the playoffs that first season, and then say what you want about Ryan Tannehill, but Tannehill shreds his knee and they have to bring Jay Cutler out of retirement, a very unmotivated Jay Cutler for that six and 10 season. So the pieces have sort of fallen apart and everything's collapsed on itself. They still managed to go seven and nine in 2018, obviously seven and nine, nothing to write home about, but he was 23 and 25 over three years in Miami. Not good. Not, you know, not even mediocre. It's just very average, I guess. Uh, I don't have a problem with him getting a second chance because he is only 41 years old. But if there aren't immediate results this year, the second year in New York, and again, weird year, everything, this, that, and the other, uh, we're going to look back on this as a horrible hire by the Jets. 
See, I think before before you go, Dave, because he was fourth on your list, I just want to interject that. I, I'm just surprised that he got his he- second gig so quickly. I thought he might do the Josh McDaniels and like take a couple of years, go back to coordinating, and then come back yeah. after that. But I was sh- – well, I shouldn't say shocked because it's the Jets, but I was shocked that he was fired by Miami and automatically picked up again by the Jets because I – I get why he was hired by Miami, but I thought that the shine was off of him so fast that I don't know what exactly the Jets thought they were getting in this time around. And I just, I mean, as we discussed before, Dave and I, like, I don't know if Adam Gase knows how to, ironically enough, I don't know if he knows how to run an offense. But, Dave, I'll let you speak to uh, to Adam Gase being in your top five. Yeah, I mean, I think he's a total disaster as head coach. Uh, I think he's a he, he can't handle himself in a press conference. He's not a leader. Um, and, you know, like you said, Jake, I mean, he lived off Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning. I mean, for OC, when he was OC in Denver, they were first in points and second in points in his first two years. Since then, he has not finished better than than 17th in points per game for an offensive guru that he is. Yeah. Guru definitely in air quotes there. And um, Ryan Tannehill and Kenyon Drake were both two key cogs of the offense in Miami at one point. Both have flourished since he left. Sam Darnold had a promising start. Gase goes there. Darnold's now in the tank talking about seeing ghosts and not understanding coverage. And, I mean, everywhere he goes, it's just he leaves a pile of wreckage behind him. And this is a guy that got a personal recommendation from Peyton Manning when he was applying for jobs at one point. I mean, this guy is just, I mean, you look at the offense rankings. It's just 28, 26, 31. I mean, this is something you see out of, you know, a Matt Patricia that goes out and builds through the defense and like, we'll win games 10 to nine. I don't care. But Adam Gase is a, is a guru and, you know, they draft Devontae Parker. They can't get him the ball uh, two years ago. So, I mean, it, it's just, it's, to me, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. Yeah. It's uh he definitely deserved the inclusion on all of our lists. That's uh I'd say that's definitely earned on his part, <clears throat> but yeah, Adam Gase, I think Dave said it best disaster. Number six, Another Oakland Raiders product, a very young man, really in his prime, ready to become a head coach, except he was terrible at it. Uh, Actually tied for number five, but the tiebreaker worked out because he was on two of our lists. Number five was on all three of our lists. So coming at number six, third for Dave, sixth for me, unranked for uh, for Levin, that is Lane Kiffin of the Oakland Raiders. Um... Yeah, actually, Tom Cable was the one who took over for Lane Kiffin when he was fired. Lane Kiffin did not last very long, folks. I believe he barely lasted more than a full season in Oakland. I think it was 5-15 and 15 was his record. Not good. Very, very bad, actually. And uh, just a case that uh, he just wasn't ready. Uh, or I don't know if he really ever should have gotten the job in the first place, but he just wasn't ready for it at all. For Kiffin, because he came into the league, I think it was the same year the Steelers hired Mike Tomlin. And we can talk about Mike Tomlin another time, whether he's a great coach or not. But he comes in his second year, granted, with a lot of Bill Cowher's players, he wins Super Bowl 43. And at the time, Tomlin was the youngest head coach in NFL history, I believe. Uh, and obviously we've seen Sean McVay, guys like that, uh, lower it even more. But Kiffin was along those same lines, a very young coach uh, coming straight out of the college ranks. He'd been at USC with those great Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, uh, Dwayne Jarrett teams, what have you. 
And again, we alluded to Al Davis being a little senile earlier. I think this maybe might have been his last grasp at uh, normalcy, and he was going to try to set the Raiders up for a generation with a great young coach, and, well, it didn't work at all. Uh, he was horrible in the NFL, and he's really proven himself not be a great college head coach either. He keeps finding work. I don't really understand how. Uh, so Kiffin's certainly overrated in that regard. At the time, I understand the high of trying to mirror what the Steelers were doing, but you know, there's a reason the Steelers have had three head coaches since 1969, and the Raiders have had three head coaches in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> Can you guys uh, can you guys guess? So the the youngest head coaching trio in NFL history includes at least at the time Lane Kiffin was hired, it was Mike Tomlin, Lane Kiffin, and can you guess the third person? McDaniel's. No, not McDaniel's. Going division by division here. I'll Ken give Wizenhunt. I'll give you I'll give you a hint. Was he, it Ken Wisenhunt? Was it Adam uh, Gates? No. What was it, Dave? Adam Gates. No, I'll give you a hint, though. Uh, I'm sorry, but when Lane Kiffin got hired, so from that point before. But I'll give you a hint. He was on the master list. He did not get ranked by any of us. Very near and dear to our hearts in New England. Pete Carroll? Uh, No, no, but Dave, you're closer timeline-wise. Bill O'Brien? No, no, think, uh, think... Think uh, more of a traitor. Oh, Eric Mangini, of Indeed, course. Eric Mangini. A man genius. <laughs> a bad hire twice, but somehow eluded the list both times. Um, <laughs> yep, Eric Mangini. But yes, 31-year-old Lane Kiffin. He went 4-12 and in his first year, but no excuses. He had a first overall pick quarterback, guys. It's true. What could go wrong? It's, it's, Jamarcus Russell and Lane Kiffin. Name a better duo. I'll wait. I don't care if Jamarcus Russell was drafted by Bill Belichick and had, you know, Josh McDaniels as offensive coordinator. I think he was going to suck regardless. Could he have been but thrown he, into a worse situation? Yeah, that's true. He probably make he could have lasted another year or two in the right situation, maybe. Yeah. Aren't, well, isn't that a case of uh, two guys that win the off the field battle? Like they're both like. Marcus Russell throws a really good deep ball and hit the crossbar from his knees and stuff. And if Lane I Kiffin hear that story conference. one more damn time, I swear <laughs> and, to God. And Lane, Kiffin, Lane Kiffin's great press conferences, and he has all these creative sayings and stories and stuff, but, like, neither one do anything on the field. Like, they both just leave wreckage behind them, and they're not great in their, in their like, position, wherever it is, QB, quarterback, I mean, uh, coach, wherever it is. Yeah. Yep, so Lane Kiffin, uh, just outside our top five. But if, it, if uh, he made 11's list, it would have been a little more interesting. I don't know if uh, the tiebreaker might have put him in number five. But regardless, moving on to number five, also with 23 points, third for 11, ninth for me, 13th for Dave. So he made all of our lists. That is none other than Jim Tom Sula, the man with the mustache out in San Francisco. The sweaty guy with the mustache. Jim Tom Sula uh, was, is one of those cases of – I don't know if this guy ever should have been a head coach in the first place. Not only, I mean, last year, really his name was in the headlines. I think it was last year. It wasn't everybody hemming and hawing for him to be the head coach in Washington, or at least interim, after Jay Gruden got fired? Yeah. Wasn't that like that everybody wanted him to be yep. the guy? And I'm not exactly sure why. But uh, Jim Tomsula coached the 49ers. He wasn't very good at it. Uh, he was only there for one year. 
and it was an, a forgettable one. So, uh, Levin, you had him third. You put him on the podium. You got bronze medal winner. I did. Uh, I did. So, this is a guy just going by the resume. He had been in the NFL at the time of his hiring for eight seasons. He was the defensive line coach this entire time. And I don't mean to be mean um, line coaches. I think the Patriots had the greatest offensive line coach of all time, perhaps, in Dante Scarnecchia. But there's a reason that guys don't go straight from coaching in a non-skill position group straight up to head coach. And I think Skarnekia, just to draw a little comparison between the two, he's a football lifer. Tom Sula at the time, prior to being a D-line coach with the Niners, he was coaching in NFL Europe. And a couple of other high schools looking at his page right now, some Division III schools. So, again, there's, there's trying to strike while the iron's hot with a guy like Lane Kiffin who comes from a storied program and has success in college. There's a whole other from getting a guy who's been in NFL Europe and then was a defensive line coach, just totally outmatched. And also going from Jim Harbaugh, who uh, he's one of these guys, you can say what you want about him, got results and over the short period of time in San Francisco. It's just a ridiculous hire, and they kind of got what they deserved there uh, with him for that one disastrous year. And I mean that's that really is what I think was kind of what doomed the whole Tomasulo regime that whole that one year he was there. I just think it was such a reactionary decision by Jed York just to get rid of Jim Harbaugh and hire the first guy he could you know, point his finger at, um, and it was disastrous. I mean Harbaugh, like you said, Jake, say what you want about him, but he got them to a Super Bowl. He was a good coach there. I still don't think the book is finished on him coaching in the NFL. Call me crazy, but I don't think the book is closed on that. He was good for them, and it was just a matter of Jed York and Jim Harbaugh had like a blood feud. He was, I I think, petty about it, Jed York, and he got rid of Harbaugh. And not like Harbaugh had been all roses his last couple of years there, but, you know, it, it was, let me put it this way, better than what they got until Kyle Shanahan came along. That's for sure. But it's, it, it was just not, it was ill-fated from the beginning. Like you said, Jake, there's a reason why you don't go from, you know, coaching non-skill positions to head coach. It just doesn't happen. And this is another classic example of why that does not happen, because your team sucks. Just happens. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just another example of that. And, you know, one guy I can think of that, <clears throat> or two guys I can think of that, that weren't at least coordinated or weren't at least, you know, offensive or defensive coordinators. Harbaugh for the Ravens was a special teams guy. Right. And then Mike Palmer was defensive line coach for the Vikings when he got hired. But right. those are guys that are actually worked with core members of the team. Uh, you know, defensive line coach, that's a little tough. I know uh, Mike Tomlin was successful, but that's few and far between. You have more examples of failures than you do of positivity. And I just think Jim Tom Sula, when you saw him coach the first year too, his teams weren't always really super prepared in game for adjustments. It seemed like they kind of lost the battle as the game went on a lot of times. Uh, because I remember watching some of the Monday night football games and they would kind of slowly just get blown out. Kind of the doors open up, the floodgates open up in the second half. And I, I think that overall it's a guy that, you know, obviously, you know, he probably knows, you know, a good amount about defensive line um, technique and hand placement and that stuff. But there's a big difference between working with defensive linemen and game planning for an entire team. Yeah, but you know what? We can agree on two things, fellas. 
Nobody sweat more than Jim Tom Sula, and nobody had a better mustache when he was the head coach. So <laughs> I'll give him a mustache. He's got a good mustache. True that. I'm sorry, Dave. Who sweat more than him in the league? Other than players, not players, coaches. Oh, no, I'll give him the sweat, too. Okay, so you got those two things, which is, you know, it's, yeah. it's, that's good. Um, so you might be wondering if you're listening to this. Okay, we've covered the Lions, the Raiders, the Jets. Where are the Browns? Well, don't worry, because they're oh, next. Don't you worry. <laughs> don't you worry, because they are next. Uh, actually, the two the next two guys were tied for third, but one of them was ranked on all three of our lists, and this guy was only on two of them uh, with 28 points in fourth place. Number one for Jake Levin, number three for Jake Morocco, and not on the list at all for Dave, but he's not going to be singing his praises either. Uh, that is Freddie Kitchens of the Cleveland Browns. This was another one of those hires where – the second they hired him, I was like, that is a bad idea. You should never have done that. That was just right off the bat, a bad decision. And boy, oh boy, did the numbers pan out. Because Freddie Kitchens only lasted one year. And you look at it, and it's deceiving. Because he was only there one year. And you look at 6-10, and 10, you're like, oh my god, 6-10 and 10 for the Browns might as well be an AFC championship trip. Because they've been horrible for the past, uh, I don't know, entire our, our whole lifetime pretty much. And you look at 6-10, and ten, doesn't look that bad, but then you consider the fact that they were, like, Super Bowl favorites to start the season on Sports Illustrated's cover and all that shit, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wait, maybe Freddie Kitchens isn't a good head coach because he doesn't know how to lead a team, and he pretty much immediately lost the locker room, and Baker Mayfield, you know, was not very good. So it was immediate how bad of a decision it was, and... You thought maybe the Browns had turned a corner. They had all this talent coming in, and yet again, they could not find the right steward for the team, and it it sure as shit showed on the field, guys. They really should have gone with an experienced coach at this point. So, Kitchens, you look at his resume, and it's not horrible. He'd been coaching skill positions uh, for a long time in Arizona, going all the way back to 07. But then he gets to Cleveland. 2018 was his first year with the Browns, and he was the offensive coordinator. So, again, I'm a fan of hiring a guy who's overseen um, all of the ball. But there's something to be said for somebody just having the it factor, having the charisma, having the social skills, the people skills, whatever you want to call it. And it was just clear pretty early on Kitchens had none of them. And his personality was not a good fit for Baker Mayfield, who himself has some issues, uh, whether they're, you know, personality-wise or uh, his physical traits playing. It was just a poorly made match, and they really should have brought in somebody who had already been there, done that, with a young quarterback. And because it's the Browns, I gave them bonus points for that. <laughs> That's why, for my money, this is the worst hire in my and I can't blame you for that. I, I know I know it didn't make your list, Dave, but you definitely uh, aren't a Freddie a Freddie Kitchens fan at all. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I think part of why I understand partly why they did it because Baker Mayfield had come in and he developed like a rapport with Freddie Kitchens. They'd gone on a little bit of a second half run, even though it was kind of a little bit misleading because they'd beaten up mostly on bad teams. Um, you know, I think that's the reason why you see that hire being made. You see that the owner is thinking, all right, well, if we just replicate that full year, you know, we won, you know, six of the last eight or whatever it ended up being, you know, we're a playoff team. Let's keep everything going positive going forward. We know they work well together. Let's just keep them working in the offseason. But instead, Freddie Kitchens just looked immediately overwhelmed with every coaching decision he had to make. 
I mean, specifically, you think back to the Patriots game where he runs the team out in the field and then he wants, to, and then he doesn't want to punt, and then he does want to punt, and then he doesn't want to punt, and they take the delay of game. They don't want to use the last timeout, and then they actually go for it, and it's like fourth and thirty, and it's just it's one of those things where you think to yourself, how you know a lot of people talk about how valuable coaches are in all the different sports. Are which one's most valuable? I mean, this is an example of when you have a guy that really is just overwhelmed. He's not meant to be a head coach. You know, you know, maybe that changes in years. He's still a pretty young guy and he's, you know, he's been around a little bit. Maybe he needs a little bit more time learning under someone that's been a little more successful. He's obviously only learned on a Hugh Jackson, so it's hard to really <laughs> say that he learned he didn't learn or he, or he did learn anything. But uh this was just this was an awful hire. I mean, there's no way around it. Uh and you remember, I think I can't remember what game it was. It might have been the Jets game or it might have been the Niners game, but I think the one play that really encapsulates that Freddie Kitchens year was running the draw, the QB draw on like fourth down and like a billion. Oh my God, yeah. And it was like, like what are you like what are you doing? Like uh, like even Lamar Jackson wouldn't have converted that. Like who who do you think you are? Like it, it just didn't it was just a disaster. It was an absolute disaster hiring him and it just proves to you that it if you have a Lamborghini of an offense, if you have a coach who's jamming the keys in the CD drive, you're not going to get anywhere. So that's really the entire Cleveland Browns 2019 season in a nutshell. But don't worry, Freddie Kitchens, you're not alone in this top 10 because joining you with 28 points, but just a smidge ahead because he was on all of our lists, second for Dave, silver on the podium, fourth for me, 14th for 11, so he still made the list. That's Hugh Jackson getting the bronze medal here of bad head coaching hires of our lifetime. I mean, is there any other stat I need to read to you for Hugh Jackson other than uh, let me let me just let me just uh, make sure that nobody knows there's no typo here. Three and thirty-six and one. Three and thirty-six and one. Now, you might be thinking, Jake, both of us. Well, actually, Levin had it lower, so maybe not so much him. But you might be thinking, Jake, Dave. He wasn't a bad hire. You know, he had some good years in Cincinnati. Whatever. But what made it higher for me on the list was how he just seemed like a belligerent coach. Like, the worst kind of coach that you would want. Like, he was always... Like, especially, like, the hard knocks thing didn't do him any favors because he looked like an absolute jackass that whole show. Um, but, I mean, the record speaks for itself, man. It, he wasn't a good hire. and, and my, I mean, it, it was immediate from, from the start that he wasn't a good hire. And... Then he went 0-16 and somehow emerged from that with his job still and then continued to suck and then they got rid of him. It is just unconscionable to me that Hugh Jackson lasted in Cleveland so long with such a bad record. And clearly, both of you agree because he did make both of your lists, but Dave, he was number two on yours. Well, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a case where he wasn't a very good coach. His big thing was he had developed offense. You know, he worked with Andy Dalton. The Bengals had a lot of skill position talent. First yeah, of all, yeah, you can stop right there Bengals, with Andy Dalton. <laughs> but the Bengals had a ton of offense at one point. I mean, they, their receivers, their receiver drafts consecutively were really good. Like Marvin Jones, AJ Green, Muhammad um, Sanu all at once with Rex Burkhead and Giovanni Bernard at one point. Like that's a lot of weapons. Um, but yeah, I mean, Hugh Jackson, the funniest part that you can say about Hugh Jackson is he somehow kept being let into the building, despite the fact they won three out of 40 games. But not only that, 
like he leaves and then he starts blaming other people. Like he started blaming the other the other problems in the organization. Oh, we didn't draft this guy. I wanted to draft this guy. I didn't want my QB. I didn't want this guy. And it's like, you know, no one believes you. And even if you did, like your job is to win with the players you have on the field. You won three out of 40 games. Like you know how hard that is to do? I mean, there it's just mind-boggling that he got that many that many games. I mean, that's over two years. How does that happen? The only reason I didn't have Hugh Jackson higher on my list is because he was a head coach in Oakland for one year, those dysfunctional Oakland Raiders. Actually, he was last hired uh, by Al Davis in 2011. And he did guide Oakland to 8-8. Eight and eight. And we talk about, uh, you know, in Cleveland, you go 6-10, and 10, that's the AFC Championship game. In Oakland, that's the same thing, going 8-8. Eight and eight. So Cincinnati for a few years, he coaches the running backs, the offensive coordinator, does okay. Uh, but it was pretty clear after one year in Cleveland, he was in over his head, and there was a reason it was one and done in Oakland, despite that okay record. It's unfathomable they didn't fire him immediately after going 0-16, and then he gets off to a 2-5-1 and start, and it's really not that compared to how things have been, and then they decide to fire him. If another team makes a mistake of hiring uh, Hugh Jackson again, that will be the worst head coaching hire in the history of the NFL. But, you know, for now, I'd say it's only in that top 10, 15 range, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I would say that that would be, uh, I don't know what teams would be thinking if they were giving Hugh Jackson another chance, but, yeah, it's it's not going to be remembered very fondly. I mean, I don't think it was a great hire to begin with, and then, obviously, the tenure was, <laughs> uh, I would say forgettable, but it wasn't because then they went 0-16, and somehow, like Dave said, they kept getting let in the building. Uh, <laughs> just don't know how that really that really happened, but... Hugh Jackson, congratulations. The second Browns quarterback, quarterback, coach on the list, not quarterback. If this was a quarterback ranking, there would be a lot of Browns quarterbacks on there. Good list. Uh, But the second Cleveland Browns head coach to be on the list. Congratulations, Hugh Jackson. And Freddie Kitchens, the other Browns coach that's on the list. But we are moving away from the Cleveland Browns to go on to number two. A guy that did not make Dave's list, but is very near and dear to me and Levin, at least, because he was very high on ours. Second for Levin. First for me, uh, and I'm not, I also don't think Dave's going to be loving this guy either. That is good old Ben McAdoo of the New York Giants. My God. I mean, has there really just a spectacularly bad tenure for Ben McAdoo? One that was doomed from the start. And speaking of a guy that really never felt like he had control over the team he was coaching, it, it's just one of those ones that sticks in my memory where. It never really had any high points to begin with. A guy that squandered so much talent, never really had a control of any of his players. And, of course, what he'll probably be best remembered for, and ironically, something the only thing I think that he did smart for this team was benching Eli Manning, but everybody freaked out about it, and it probably ended up costing him his job. But, honestly, I know we're kind of biased because Eli Manning robbed us of two Super Bowls, or at least had a part in doing that, but... I think benching Eli at that point was the right move. Um, it was the waffle. It was going back yes. to Eli the very next week to come into the public right. pressure. Right. What's so incredible about Ben McAdoo is that he actually made the playoffs his first year. Yeah, It's just right. so mind-boggling to go from that. And after, let's face it, Tom Coughlin had grown stale. They didn't make the playoffs, the Giants. I guess that would have been the, his final four seasons after Super Bowl Forty Six. So then McAdoo, he was actually kind of a, a breath of fresh air for that organization. But to go from that eleven and five in the playoffs, having Green Bay on the ropes for a little bit there in the wild card round, even 
to fired before your second year is even over from, let's face it, a sturdy organization, if nothing else. And the Giants tells you all you need to know about how inept and clownish Ben McAdoo was similar to Matt Patricia. Sometimes you just know if a guy looks the part or if he doesn't look the part, he does not look the part of a head coach, particularly in the world's number one media market, or at least the U.S. top media market. Uh, Clown of epic, epic proportions, and he could not have handled anything worse than he did, particularly in year two. Yeah, yeah, and I agree with you guys. Honestly, him him not being on my list is more of an oversight than anything. Uh, He definitely would have been in the top ten. Uh, but this is a guy I actually remember him when he was being hired by the Giants. I remember they jumped to hire him really fast because actually he was being courted by other teams as potential head coach. Scary. Which is yeah, that's the scary part. Like more than one team thought that this clown show should should go on the road and go to different cities. Like this guy couldn't lead, you know, a peewee football team. Like it's just it's it's mind boggling to me. I mean, he he clearly isn't good with personal management because a lot of times in the locker room, you know, the QB is like the is the extra coach. Like he's the guy that players look to when there's an intermediary between that, the head coach, the staff, and the players. Like the quarterback usually speaks up. They carry a lot of weight. You can't waffle back and forth on decisions like that because then no one knows who to go to. No one knows who you're talking to. No one knows who's playing. And everything's up in the air and it causes chaos down up and down the line. If the QB can be replaced like that, like Eli, and you go back to the young guy and then you go right back to Eli – Who's to say everyone else won't get replaced then too? Everyone's on edge. It creates chaos. And that's the kind of thing you can't have. You gotta have, you know, you gotta be organized. That's the one thing about teams that that win a lot. They're always organized and people know what to expect and they put people in roles that support that, you know, that process. And people need to know what their roles are. Yeah. I mean, like 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 Jake said, I think Jake put it best. I'll, I mean, you're yeah, you both encapsulated it very well, but Jake saying, you know, sometimes you just don't look the part. And Ben McAdoo never quite looked the part of a head coach. Worst mustache, too. I know, right? As great as Jim Tom Sewell's mustache was, his was terrible. Yeah. Uh, So we have, let me count here, uh, almost a couple dozen honorable mentions. So we'll fire right through them uh, because there were a lot of options here, and we definitely took advantage of that. Uh, uh, Dennis Erickson of the 49ers made the bottom rungs of your list. Yeah, talk about somebody who just had no business coaching the NFL. I think like uh, Tom Cable, he coached at Idaho. And then next thing you know, he's coaching the San Francisco 49ers, one of the proudest organizations in sports. Yeah, you know, even if it was just for a year, I had to give him at least 15th place. Yep. Uh, Speaking of 15th place, Dave, Steve Spagnuolo of the St. Louis Rams. Yeah, I mean, I threw him at 15 because I respect the hire. Like, he's coming off the Patriots Super Bowl. He's, you know, the hot name, defensive coordinator. You know, he he famously patented kind of like the NASCAR pass rush, which is bump down the defensive ends and just create more speed on the outside. But, I mean, I had to throw him on here at 15 because, I mean, what an awful tenure it was. He had three seasons. I mean, he got fired through the fourth one, so the fourth season doesn't count as much. But one in 15, two in 14, one in three, and then a seven and nine. Like, that's up there as one of the worst tenures I've ever seen, a 21% winning percentage. It's not good. It's not good. Uh, for me, I put Rex Ryan at 14th on my list, the Buffalo Rex Ryan hire. That was one of those cases where, right. I, where I don't know if he deserved that second chance, at least so quickly. But, you know, Rex Ryan... We love him here in New England. Just a big fan. Also, before we move on, 
Isn't it weird that he'd want to jump right back into the same division that beat the shit out of him before? Sounds like it's almost like Adam Gase, right? Yeah, it's, it's almost like it's just like he likes pain. Like he knows Brady and Belichick are still there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you think he should know that, but uh, there was uh, something else afoot there, wasn't there? <laughs> yeah, get it? Was that, uh, oh. No, okay. Uh, also on my list, thirteenth was Josh McDaniels, the Denver version. I get why they'd want to take a stab at the young coordinator, but it became evident pretty quickly, <laughs> Tebow, that it was not going to work out. Um, Jake, we have another Cleveland coach on the list here, Rob Chudzinski. I had to go back and look at all of Cleveland's coaching hires since they re-entered the NFL in 1999, because I know there's been a lot of them, but I, it's almost like you know listing the presidents. You know, you know who the names are. It's just tough to get them in <laughs> order sometimes. Yeah. There's that many Browns coaches, and you know, similar to presidents, there's some good ones and some bad ones and really in the case of the browns there's some bad ones and some worse ones i had completely forgotten about rob chudzinski but he only lasted one season and so if you only last one season even in cleveland you get on my list i remember there was like a brief not like insurrection or uprising but when he got fired like some of the players were like oh man like we like chud chud was our guy and he was forgotten about pretty quickly so uh maybe maybe they didn't love chud as much as they thought um Dave, you had Ken Wisenhunt at 12th on your list, and uh, well-earned. Yeah, I mean, I just don't think he's a very good football mind, really, in general. Like, he led the Cardinals to the Super Bowl against the Steelers at one point, which was obviously a, a big big accomplishment. But I don't think he deserved that second chance quite yet. I know he was, he'd worked with the Chargers, and he'd done some good work there, and that obviously spurred the opportunity. But, I mean, I think he proved pretty fast that that Tennessee was just not a good fit for him. Sure wasn't. Uh, another bad fit for Tennessee coming up soon, but for now, uh, Jake Chan Gailey, 11th on your list. Yeah, just a guy who, and I'm talking about the Buffalo version. He right. spent two years in Dallas as the head coach at the tail end of the Aikman. Um, I almost said Troy Smith. Why do I have Troy Smith <laughs> in my mind? Um, em- Emmett Smith and uh, Michael Irvin ever there. I say Troy Aikman. And, uh, you know, he is two very net years there. Goes to be a coordinator for a while, and he's fine as a coordinator for the most part, but a lot of it's in college, and then all of a sudden you fling him back into a head coaching role in the AFC East, which at the time you have Belichick, obviously at the peak of his powers, and you have what looks like a formidable opponent brewing in New York with Rex Ryan. So why do you want to bring in a guy who is so far removed from that level of competition to be your head coach? But that's why the Bills do Bills things. I'm not saying it's the worst hire of all time, just something that, you know, scratch your head a little bit. That's for sure. Uh, what else we got here? Uh, Mike sp- Malarkey. Yeah, speaking of Tennessee, Mike Malarkey, 10th on your list, Levin. Crack the top 10. And just another a retread, a guy who had coached a couple times before and did nothing impressive. And I'm, I'm a little more forgiving on hires that are creative outside the box. It's why I didn't hate a hire like Elaine Tiffin or like Josh McDaniels once upon a time. With Malarkey, you kind of just know what you're getting. You get at best case scenario, nine and seven. And why? why just be different. Think outside the box. I wish more teams would do that. The lasting mark for me of the Mike Malarkey coaching tenure in Tennessee was that weird, that like the weird thing where he won the playoff game against Kansas City, but they wouldn't commit to bringing him back as a head coach. Then he lost to the Patriots. Then they fired him. It was such a weird week. 
That's when you know, when you actually win a playoff game and you still can't secure your future. That's when you know you're you're just not cut out to be head coach anymore. Sure not. Uh, Dave, number 10 on your list, Romeo Cornell. The Cleveland Browns, Romeo Cornell higher. I I should have I should have specified. I was thinking more of the Chiefs. Oop, sorry, sorry. I don't know why I put Cleveland Browns on this. No, one. no, I, I I didn't specify, so that's on me. But it's all good because I can understand the the Browns when they took a shot on him because he was just coming off the Patriots Super Bowl. Like the the, the dynasty for that defense was unreal. Obviously, he deserved a shot, but I just know that after that Browns stint, people knew he was not a head coach. And and the Chiefs just kind of pushed that aside, and we're just thinking, all right, well, he won two out of three games at the end of the season that didn't really matter, so let's just throw him back in and and see what happens. And at that point, he's looking at a two and fourteen season, and they pull the plug right away because, and I think this is especially with organizations like the Chiefs or the Steelers or the Giants, if if they fire someone after one season, teams that usually have you know pretty stable front offices and coaching staffs. They know that they made a clear misstep uh, because they usually let coaches go for three or four years at least. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I, I just, I, for some reason, Cleveland, I just assumed because the, both the 10 years were bad. I don't know why. I forgot he coached in Kansas City, honestly. So that's probably why he didn't, didn't come to mind. Uh, Dave, this guy made both of our lists uh, six points, but obviously didn't make the uh, top 10. He was 11th for you, 15th for me. And you know how much I do not like this guy. And uh, <laughs> it's Pat Shermer of the Giants, who went nine and twenty-three in both of his head coaching tenures with the Browns and the Giants, and it's safe to say, probably never getting another head coaching gig in his life. Yeah, I mean, very easily to say. I mean, he just doesn't know how to do anything, and and you saw this last Giants tenure. He just he's not a good offensive mind either. He just doesn't do anything well, to be honest. I I don't I don't understand why even. I mean, I know he was a good a good offensive coordinator at points, but. He doesn't even seem like, he's, like he knows what he's doing on that side of the ball either. Sure doesn't. Levin, top 10 for you at number nine. Jim Zorn, Adam Washington. Yeah, just another guy who I felt as though didn't deserve the second chance that he got. He had an underwhelming resume uh, coming into Washington. I don't mean to say second chance. That was his only head coaching opportunity, but he'd been a quarterback's coach in Seattle. Uh, a pretty good one with Matt Hasselbeck, but I, it's just one of those things. I don't like hiring a coach unless he oversees the entire side of the ball. And when you're only focused on one position, I think you sort of reap what you sow there. And uh, that happened. He flamed out quickly in D.C. again, like so many others have. Oh, yeah. That's uh, that's another one where – and it's also fitting. You know, it's just so many guys. It's like you're trying to name the presidents. You just don't remember what order they came in. Uh yeah, well, Jim Zorn definitely deserves to uh, to be included in the honorable mentions. Dave, Mike Nolan, number eight on your list. Yeah, I mean, this is another guy. I mean, I, I looked at this kind of a little bit different than you guys. I didn't even go by higher. I kind of went – some of that is by higher, but I went more by tenure too. I think people can um, read between the lines of what we mean by higher. Yeah, um, and, you know, I just think when you look at his, his stint as head coach of the 49ers, another organization that usually keeps coaches a long time unless there's a clear misstep. Uh, like Tom Sula, mm-hmm. uh, you know, he had one season where he sniffed 500, seven and nine. He was there for four years and uh, he just, he never really even made a dent. This also led to the famous Mike Singletary interim uh, stint. So I guess we've, we have him to thank for that. We sure do, Dave. Uh, J- uh, 11, honestly, I forgot this guy existed and I put him on the master <laughs> list. 
Uh, Mark Trestman. Oh my god, I forgot this guy existed. Quite honestly, and oh yeah. Canada. Oh man, he's a Canadian coaching legend. Yeah, but, but not Canadian not, football is barely American yeah. football. I mean, for as much as it's the same, it's different. Different rules, different size of the field, different number of players on the field, and I'm all for creativity. But you're the Chicago. Bears, he can't have a gimmick like that. It's cute if you're in Jacksonville or Houston, maybe. But no, the Bears have to have, and not that any of the guys they've hired since then really have been much better than Dressman. Uh, I, 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 I like swinging for the fences, but you're gonna strike out when you do that, and that, that's what happened there. Yeah, another classic case of. Good coordinator, but not a head coach. Uh, Dave, number seven for you, Todd Haley. This one is Kansas City. I marked this one right, correct? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I put this one on here because I still remember the stories about how paranoid he was and he thought people bugged the coach's room. So he, cle- he made everyone clear out their offices and stuff and, and search and search for bugs and, and things. And he would change times of practices and try to throw people off because he thought people were listening. Uh, this was just marred by pure paranoia and incompetence. And I think that's what made me laugh so much and put him so high on the list because I can't ever think of another tenure ending or, or even starting or even having any season like that. Yeah, it's, uh, that's pretty interesting. I won't lie. Uh, Dave, Cam Cameron also made your list. He was number six. and uh, Forgot about him. Cam Cameron went 1-15 in his only season as Dolphins head coach, so I cannot blame you for putting him so high. Yeah, I mean, this was another case of, I mean, he kind of earned it with 1-15. And, and I know, obviously, when, when teams are 1-15, you can't always blame the coach because it's obviously not just his fault. But when the guy comes in as an offensive guru and they finish 28th in yards, I mean, no matter who you have, I mean, that's kinda, that's a rough pill to swallow. And 1-15, and at least... You know, at least he got him a high draft pick. That's that's all I'll say. <laughs> hey, bonus, bonus points for Cam Cameron. If I'm not mistaken, wasn't he the offensive coordinator for the Ravens, uh, at least at the start of the season when they won Super Bowl 47, and then they fired him, and they go on to win the Super Bowl? I believe that is correct. Who did they bring on? Wasn't it, didn't they bring Jim Caldwell in? That could have been it. I think it yeah, I think they brought Jim Caldwell in, and then they won the Super Bowl. I, I think that's right. What the change I mean, I think, I mean, Jim Caldwell, if you want to make a top 10 list of guys who were done dirty by the NFL or by their team, Jim Caldwell is near the top of the list. And uh, Dave knows my feelings on Steve Wilkes. Yeah, Cam Cameron was the uh, OC in Baltimore for, looks like, nine games in 2012, something like that. The football reference isn't telling me exactly how many games. But yeah, so bonus points there. Get fired and your team wins the Super Bowl. That's right. Jim Caldwell. Justice for Jim Caldwell. Justice for Steve Wilkes. Right, Dave? Justice for Steve Wilkes. I'm with you. I'm with you on Steve Wilkes for sure. That's I don't right. know about Caldwell, but certainly for Wilkes. That's true. Steve Wilkes. Steve, that's why that is why I cannot stand Steve Kime so much. And Dave knows it because I think Steve Wilkes was served the worst hand in in Arizona that year. But anyway, that is that is a hill that only I die on for some reason. But anyway, Steve Wilkes, if you're listening, you have crossing state line support. You have our support. Anyway. Uh, just a few more to get through here. Dave made both of our lists. Gus Bradley. That was one of the hires where you looked at it and you were like, well, he's definitely coasting off of Seattle's success. And, yes, he was the defensive coordinator, but 
He's also Gus Bradley and probably shouldn't be head coach. And thankfully, you know, for the Jaguars organization, they moved on from him relatively quickly. I also think he had too much of a leash there. Yeah, I, I think he had won too many seasons there, but um, it's just another case of good coaches coaching or coaches rather coasting off good players because obviously he had a specific scheme he liked and obviously the players in Seattle fit that scheme, but I mean, it doesn't. You got to adjust your scheme to players, or, or vice versa. And after four years and helping draft the team and and crop and craft the team the way you wanted it, you know, you got to make adjustments of either putting better, you know, players in position or changing a scheme to fit the players you have on the team. You can't just bring in an old a scheme that doesn't fit whoever you have on the team. It doesn't make any sense. Jake, what are your fondest Gus Bradley memories? <laughs> <laughs> Probably the Jaguars drafting Blake Bortles and dooming any chance he had of being successful. Because, he, you know, he's a guy who checks off all those boxes on the resume. And uh, it then becomes clear, though, that similar to Adam Gase having Peyton Manning at his disposal, uh, Gus Bradley had, you know, Richard Sherman and Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor and this, that, and the other at his disposal for those uh, defenses in Seattle. I'm trying to look up. I want to look up something real quick. Jaguars, this is going to make more sense if I was on the spot for this prediction. Jaguars 2013 schedule. I just want to see if I was right. Let me see. What was their record this year? I don't want to do any math, so I hope it just tells me. They were Okay, great. So when the Jaguars changed their logo in 2013, I posted a picture of an Instagram, and I said, this is going to go great with their 3-13 record this year. They went four and twelve. I'm oh, sorry. Was it four and twelve? I think they went four. Yeah, they went four and twelve that year. So I was very close to being right about that. I was one wow. one game off from being on the dot. And sure enough, Gus Bradley was the steward of that team that year. So uh, hats off to Gus Bradley. Uh, fifth on my list, Rich Kotite of the New York Jets. All I need to say about Rich Kotite is he went four and twenty-eight with the Jets. That's really all that needs to be said about Rich Kotite, quite honestly. <laughs> Uh, very, very, very bad. Uh, uh, Jake, fifth, fifth on your list, Norv Turner of the San Diego Chargers. So again, this is when I was going strictly off the hire. It was his third job after two very unsuccessful stints in Washington and in Oakland. And once again, Washington and Oakland, uh, specifically Oakland at that point in time, were places where careers go to die. I get all that, and sometimes things are out of your control. But he's North Turner, and the Chargers bring him in. And yeah, he has a good record in San Diego. An okay record, 56 and 40. That's a 583 winning percentage. But it's no wonder they never got over the top of him because he's not a head coach. He's a good coordinator. He's a really good offensive coordinator, but not a head coach. And that's one of those highest that just sort of bumps me out. They should have brought in a younger mind to work with at the time, the young quarterback, Phil Rivers. Maybe they get over the hump with Tomlinson and Gates and whomever else. But Instead, they're pretty much just 500 every year. Had one great year of 13 and 3, but other than that, 8 and 8, 9 and 7, this, that, and the other. Well, the last one before we get on to number one, Dave, he was ninth for you, 12th for me. <laughs> Steve Spurrier, another Washington Redskins fantastic hire. Yeah, and I, I think at certain points, you have to question some of the college hires. I understand kind of why they took a chance on him. Number one, it's Daniel Snyder, and he likes anything that's like successful in any sport at any spot. And you know, Steve Spur, a highly successful college head coach, 
he's, you know, running this crazy fun offense. Let's do that in Washington. Let's bring that here. We'll run, we'll win 12 games. Unfortunately, Steve didn't seem as committed as Daniel Snyder was left after I believe two seasons or was let go. Um, but it's just another example of you got to find <clears throat> the right mind for college to go to the pros and, you know, we'll test it out this year again with Matt rule. Um, you know, it just takes certain minds to go from pro to college. And you see it in every sport. It's not any different from football or basketball or anything. like. That. Those are the two major ones, obviously. But, you know, you see a lot of times college coaches like Fred Hoiberg jumped in an NBA and failed miserably to, to make it that a cohesive unit. And and you see it in the NFL, too. I mean, you're leading different guys. There's a different standard there. And not every coach can handle it. And Steve Spurrier, funny enough, though, beat the Patriots with Patrick Ramsey that year when they played him. Go figure. Yeah. Patrick Ramsey. That is a, that is a real name right there. Let me tell you. If I was putting together a list of random quarterbacks of the past 20 years, Patrick Ramsey would be on that list without a doubt. Oh boy. And also let me, let me correct myself. I think it was a 10 point win or a 14 point win. Sad. Let me correct myself, by the way. Uh, let me put an asterisk there. The Washington football team is what I meant to call them there. It rolled off. The, it Unfortunately, it was just muscle memory. But uh, the Washington football team, let me correct myself. So anyway, number one on our list, with a bullet, pretty much. Uh, eight points ahead of the field here. He was second for me, fourth for Levin, fifth for Dave. We all had him in the top five. The only person you could say that for. It is the one, the only, Atlanta Falcons head coach, Bobby Petrino. What is there to say about this? This Bobby Petrino went three and ten in his, and he resigned from the Falcons during his only season with them, and he was lured there by Michael, you know, Michael Vick, this complete football player, and I believe that was the exact word he used, actually, complete football player, and then the whole dog fighting thing happened, and he was left with Joey Harrington and Flotsam and Jetsam as quarterback, and Byron Leftwich, exactly. A future head coach, Byron Leftwich, definitely going to get a gig at some point in his career. But anyway, um, all that aside, this was a disaster for the Falcons because they signed him to, I think it was a, was a five-year, $24 million deal. They were going to make him their guy. And he bailed on them and all that money before the first season even ended. And I mean, yes, you could say typical Falcons move because they're, they're another franchise marred by bad decisions. But Bobby Petrino just stands head and shoulders above all these head coaching decisions because, yes, he had a good track record at Louisville, but this just, it could not have gone worse for the Falcons. It really could not have gone worse for them. We learned a lot about his loyalty or lack thereof. I guess it was foreshadowing uh, his tenure in Atlanta when he was uh, not very loyal to his wife when he was at Arkansas. Fell off. Yes. What was it? The Vespa was he riding around on? <laughs> he had the motorcycle, the the neck brace on, and the yeah. press conference. That when I think of Bobby Petrino, and I know this is a, a podcast, not a uh, visual, but just Google Bobby Petrino, and I almost guarantee you that is going to be one of the first pictures that comes up is him in the neck brace giving that press conference. He got caught with his mistress riding around on the Vespa or whatever around campus. Just a complete and utter clown show. Uh, the fact that any Jake, I know you mentioned he had some success at Louisville. Yeah, he was there the head coach for four years, but that was his only head coaching job. Other than that, he just been a coordinator in college. He had never even been a coordinator in the NFL level. I only did have one year as the Jaguars. Obviously, pardon me, but uh, just 
unqualified and the fact that he got the amount of jobs he did or I guess the the tenure he had at Arkansas after Atlanta and then Western Kentucky and then back to Louisville before they fired him again uh it's just mind-boggling no joke five of the first six pictures that pop up when you google Bobby Petrino is him in the neck brace oh I love it no doubt about it the only other one is him yelling at a referee uh, but five I of the just, first six and the first two are just him with that smirk on his face with the neck brace on. But I just did it myself. Yep, same thing. It's, I mean, Aunt Dave. What else can you What else can you say? Bobby Petrino. He's synonymous with terrible head coaching hires in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, he's just. It's another example of you got to find the right mind and the right personality to mesh with with the NFL standard. I mean, for some people, it's too much to expect you know, consistency week in and week out and, and to connect with the players. They're different than in college. Like they're guaranteed contracts for a lot of them. And some of them aren't, and they're fighting for jobs and they want to push other guys. And it's different than the college pipeline where you bring in guys that red shirt and they learn and then they get jobs. And it's like kind of like a slow and steady process. And uh, it's just, all I can think about with Bobby Petrino though, is the neck brace. As soon as I saw the name, that's all I could think about because it's just so funny. It's just, it's like, it's literally something you'd see in Dumb and Dumber when he stands up there. With the <laughs> it's literally, it feels like that. Oh, it's just, uh, it's just. I mean, and that's just not even counting his, you know, three and ten tenure, and like you said, you know, it's the, the 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 no loyalty and not really sticking around when things get tough, and that's just that was the mark of his very very short reign over the Falcons, and it's. Talk about things from just going from a lot of promise with a guy like Michael Vick and then the whole the dog fighting thing happens and Bobby Petrino bails and all of a sudden you're back to, like you said, Joey Harrington and Byron Leftwich and just really a whole lot of nothing. But that is our uh, that, that completes our top ten. Just to read them back, we have Matt Patricia at ten, Rob Marinelli at nine, Top Cable at eight, uh, Adam Gase at seven, the New York Jets hire version of Adam Gase. Lane Kiffin at six, Jim Tom Sula at five, Freddie Kitchens at four, Hugh Jackson at three, Ben McAdoo at two, and Bobby Petrino reigning over them all at number one. Jake, thank you so much for joining us on the episode. Where can we find you on social media? Gentlemen, absolute pleasure. I am on the uh, Twitter sphere at Jake T11, J A K E T L E V I N. Uh, yeah, that's that. There you go. That's that's, uh, that's just where you can find Jake. Dave, where can we find you? Uh, same thing, at David underscore Albiani. And uh, RIP Jerry Stiller. That's correct. That's correct. RIP Jerry Stiller, indeed. You can find me at Jacob underscore Morocco. The podcast is at CSL Podcast. You can email us, crossingstlinespod at gmail.com. We're on Spotify. We're on Anchor. Go find us there. Go listen. Uh, go check us out there. Go you know subscribe, like, follow, do all that good stuff. Uh, And again, thanks to Jake for joining us. We will see you guys next week.